right, so let's talk about the Mesozoic marine invertebrates and the protease. So this is uh, a diagram of all different types of invertebrates. So this would be uh, the guys that lived in the ocean. So we've learned about the Paleozoic uh, invertebrates dominated by like trilobites and brachiopods and crinoids and whatnot. So let's just kind of see how these guys evolve through time. All right, so there's several extinct groups, meaning that they were present um, in the um, in the Paleozoic, and they essentially were influenced by the end Permian mass extinction. So, do you guys remember the mass extinction that basically wiped out, you know, up to ninety percent of all the ocean life? Um, the, it didn't affect the land as much, but it really affected the ocean. So the ones that were that became extinct and were no longer present in the Mesozoic, so they were just Paleozoic only, would have been the trilobites. And if you guys remember those, um, there's a, one in the cabinet back there, but that's that little, that beetle arthropod looking guy that essentially would live on the bottom of the ocean and graze her food. Probably very similar um, animal as like a lobster, but it's on a, it's a bug, it's an arthropod and it's like, you know, they only get to be, some are really tiny, some are like this. So not like a true crustacean or anything. Um, also the rugose and tabulate corals were also extinct. So we have a whole different suite of corals that were then present in the Mesozoic that were different. Um, the fenestrate bryozoans, if you remember those, those were those little, uh, really delicate animals that had like a um they had like the screw part in the middle and then going around it they had like this really beautiful delicate like structure that kind of looked like a window screen um so it, it had like these little screens like that that's not like the best picture in the world but <laughs> i think you get the point um if you have any questions i can show you a picture of that on uh google photos when we're done with the lecture um, also, uh, blastoids, those were in the crinoid family. The cephalopods, those are like, uh, I guess you can think of them that they're related to like a squid or something like that. The fusiolinid forams, so those are those single-celled guys, those little tiny guys that would uh, sit at the bottom of the ocean. And then the eurypteids, those are, I guess you could kind of think of those as like, kind of like a crab, I guess, um, a horseshoe crab, something similar to that. And then the groups that were decimated but didn't go extinct, so some of them survived, uh, that mass extinction would have been the brachiopods. Those are the ones that are similar to like a clam or um, like a, a gastropod, but the symmetry of their shell is different and they can live at higher latitudes. So they can live in relatively cool water compared to some of the other invertebrates. Uh, just the regular bryozoans, uh, those survived. Uh, crinoids, those survived. Those are the ones that they look like a lily pad, but they're an animal. And uh, the nautiloid cephalopods. So those really begin to evolve um, into the the Mesozoic. Sorry, and when I said the extinct group, I meant the gauna, the gonotite. Those were specific or were extinct. So you had. It wasn't that it killed absolutely everything of all of the invertebrates, but just select uh, species groups. And why that happens, 
Mm, not really sure. Um, it could have been that some of the species were just more tolerant to harsher conditions. That would probably be the most likelihood. Um, or there could have been just a greater abundance of them where their populations were just much higher. They were more diverse. They lived across different sort of uh, depositional environment boundaries. So that could be some of the reasons. All right, so some of the radiating groups, the ones that really began to become prolific through the Mesozoic after the extinction, those would be bivalves. That's your clam, your standard clam. Gastropods, those are snails. Those are just the scientific names. Uh, these two different types of cephalopods, the ammonitic cephalopods, that's what uh, this guy is up here, this really big, beautiful fossil up here. Um, echinoderms, so the echinoids, those are the like uh, the spiny urchins that you would see. You see them today on the beaches. If you ever go to Florida or if you have the opportunity to go to the Caribbean. Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say a sea urchin? So they have like the little spines all on them. I'll, I'm sure there'll be a picture of it. So crustaceans, those are like crabs. You can think of crabs, lobsters, stuff like that. And the scleractinian corals. Those are um, the corals. We even see those today. So those are the ones that are really famous. Um, if you were to go to probably not so much Florida because Florida has been damaged by a lot of hurricanes lately. But if you were to go to the Caribbean, you'd probably have a better chance of seeing um, like a really beautiful scleractinian coral. Okay. So gastropods, one key thing about gastropods is in the Mesozoic, they became predators. So I, you can see this actually today. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but have you picked up a clam shell? So that's a gastropod, a snail, and this is a clam shell. And have you ever noticed that some of the clam shells get these holes in them? I don't know if you've ever been to the beach. Well, next time you go to the beach, look for them. You'll see these holes. And those holes are from the gastropod attaching itself to the clam uh, it secretes an acid and it hooks onto it and it drills a hole into the clam and then it literally once it gets the hole through like and the soft tissue of the clam is exposed it will begin to eat and digest the clam it's like brutal yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's one really uh, cool maybe not so cool interesting <laughs> fact about gastropods is that they became predators and they're still not all of them do this but the ones, there's specific species that live in the ocean that do this. Um, like land snails, I don't, I don't know of land snails to really do this. I think it's mostly, it's a specific type of gastropod um, in the modern that still does this today. Okay, one really cool about the cephalopod, uh, so that would be somewhat similar to like a squid with a hard shell, is uh, they have this thing, they're called sutures. And that's basically like the little squiggle lines that you see right here. So that's these lines right here. Throughout the Mesozoic, um, they, the sutures became really complicated and delicate and beautiful. So if you look at this guy up here, you'll see that he has uh, these straight sutures. So if you actually look at this, I'll bring it, show you guys. This is actually pretty cool. So you can see right here that they, he has the straight sutures. So these lines are straight. You see that? So during the Mesozoic, they became really, really complex. So they got all those little squiggles. And um, unfortunately, the ones that got those little squiggles at the end of 
the Mesozoic, they became extinct. It's these ones, the real simple ones, that have actually survived in from the uh, Paleozoic, Cambrian time period, and these are actually still present today. So, um, yeah. So it's really interesting to see what animals kind of made it through these extinctions or invertebrates and which ones didn't. Okay, so the ones that have the really complex sutures, uh, this is sort of their, their detailed, their species name. Um, these would have arose from the gonotolites. This is the one that went extinct at the end of the Paleozoic, um, but this one would have survived that first extinction. And one key thing to note that this is an index fossil for the Triassic. So it was only around during the Triassic. That's why it's an index fossil. An index fossil is one that's only around for a short period of time over one geologic time period. And um, if you look at this PowerPoint, if you want to download it in detail, when you look at the sutures, they're actually really, really beautiful. They have a lot of delicate little lines and structures right through here. So you guys can look at that more in detail if you want to. I can upload this onto Blackboard. Okay, so the ammonitic cellophod. So this is very similar. Um, this was an index fossil for the Jurassic and the Cretaceous. So this would have been um, after the previous slide. And um, one thing to note that these sutures have uh, both have jagged ends. So you can kind of see that right here on this picture, this really close up picture. So this is really cool looking as well. Echinoderms. So this is something um, hopefully you can relate to. This is in, um, these are really hit hard by the end Permian mass extinction, but after the extinction, they really diversified. This is the same family. Do you guys know what a sand dollar is? Yeah, this is that family. Um, and this is actually, it's not a sand dollar. It's not that species, but it's more of a bulb or it's like a, um, yeah, I guess a bulb would be the best way to explain it, but they call it, the short name for this would be a heart urchin. So it's literally this round bulbous thing, but it would be a cousin to like a sand dollar, basically. So these would have evolved during that time period. Really cool little things. They just burrow around in the sediment. It's kind of hard to imagine some of these things when you don't really live in near an ocean. Okay, and then also crustaceans. So crabs, lobsters, and shrimp became um, really diversified during the Mesozoic. And just to remember that a lot of these are scavengers, so they'll actually, they'll eat dead stuff like at the bottom of the ocean or on the beach. And then some of them are predators as well. Have you guys ever seen the crabs that come up on the shore? Um, I think it's like on Easter Island. And they always, or Christmas Island, I believe. It, they always do it around the holidays. I'll find a video and I'll show it to you guys. It's something, it's a modern phenomenon. It's it's absolutely crazy. It's really cool. Okay, and then these are the sclerotinian corals. This is what we see uh, still present today. Um, it's not really clear where they evolved from. It's not like a direct lineage. We can't make that direct link where they came from. But one thing to note is some of their characteristics, each individual whole, this is where the zooxanthellae live, the photosynthetic organism that uses light and has a symbiotic relationship with the coral. This is where the zooxanthellae lives. And um, typically we refer to this as a septa. And it has multiples of six. Uh, one thing to note is that it's colonial. So each individual whole is a single organism. So you would have had all these organisms living together in a colony. So that's really cool. Yep, and then they have the symbiotic relationship with the cyanobacteria. So that's what photosynthesizes. It's really cool. With those 
it's a colony, so if people if the predators start to die off, it dies eventually. Right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so that's the one bad thing is it if yeah they get eaten, so predators will eat them. Um, they also depending on like the environment, so like pollution can greatly affect these guys. They're really, really sensitive to climate change and like the water getting warmer, pollution, any sorts of changes in water um, is really not good for these things. So if you start to kill part of it, it's only a matter of time until like the rest of it dies. So yeah, these are under a huge threat right now globally because of uh, climate change. All right, so um, what was new to the Mesozoic? So some new critters were uh, three new different types of the cephalopods. So you would have uh, belemnites. Those, um, those are really cool. I'll show you a picture of those coming up. Squids and then octopus. So those would have all evolved uh, just since the Mesozoic. Uh, we would have also have seen bivalves, so oysters and rudus clams. And then proteas, so coccoliths and uh, diatoms. Coccoliths are actually when you have chalk from a cardboard, or from, for a, sorry, chalkboard, the, the chalk, that would be made out of uh, the coccoliths. So that's really cool. All right. So what are these, oh, there, sorry. What do they look like? This is what, um, in the fossil record, what a belemnite, what we see left over here on the right. Um, this is what we think that they could have looked like in, uh, during the Jurassic to the end of the Cretaceous. So that's one type. This is a squid cephalopod. So this guy is pretty small and it has a very uh, poor fossil record. And that's probably because it didn't really have a hard part. It was probably mostly just the squishy bits. Whereas uh, the previous one, the belemnite, it actually had that mineralized, it's made out of calcite, that mineralized bit. So that's mostly what we see preserved is because it had that hard part. So probably not really a hard part for this guy. So we don't see it very often. And same with the octopus. There's not really a lot of hard parts in octopus, so it also has a poor fossil record. All right, so this is what um, the oyster, what it would have looked like in the Cretaceous. So this, this guy right here, so pretty similar, somewhat similar looking to what we see today. Um, it would have had this, this hooked beak. So you see how it wraps around like this? It makes a really tight curl. That's something that is very distinct that we don't necessarily see in modern oysters, for example, like the Gulf Coast oysters, if you ever go over to um, like uh, Houston or New Orleans or something like that. And then um, this is uh, something that's also cool and distinct about the Cretaceous. So these guys were the major reef builders from the Jurassic to the Cretaceous. You can actually see these in a lot of different locations um, in Texas, which is really cool that we have this fossil preserved here. Um, it is called a rudist bivalve. So it would be in the same family as a clam, but it operated, it behaved more like a coral. So that's something that's really interesting. And uh, this is probably the most common morphology that you'll see. Um, also this guy right here. It was shaped similar to the horn coral of the Paleozoic, but it is definitely a bivalve. So it has, um, it has like two, two halves to it. So it'll have like a lid or a top. Uh, that's what makes it a bivalve right here. 
So you can see this is what a normal bivalve looks like. And then this is the different morphologies of the rudest. So you can just think of it as sort of a crossover between a clam and a coral, but it is definitely considered to be um, a clam or a bivalve. This is what they look like. So this is the reef. So each individual column right here would be an individual bivalve or a clam. But uh, collectively, they would build up. They grew really close to each other, and they would build up on top of each other and form a reef. So really, really neat. Okay, so the coccolis. These are protists, so these are what you see at the microscopic level. So really, really small little guys. It's a single-celled marine planktonic algae. It is made out of calcite, and um, it produces chalk. So really thing about that sorry I keep saying really cool I love all this stuff <laughs> and then um, the diatom protease so these are the single-celled also single-celled organisms they're in marine or lacustrine so they can be in freshwater lakes as well and they're also considered to be a planktonic algae these however are made out of silica or quartz um, if you remember that some of them have different they're made out of different things and um, the type of rock when they accumulate they have like little silica or chert beds that this is what we call them a diatomite really unique right so um and this is what they look like these guys are really really beautiful when you look at them underneath a microscope a microscope they have all different shapes and sizes and morphologies um yeah really cool to to look at all right so this is just a list of uh the paleozoic compared to the mesozoic I would say that this is probably something really, really good to know for your last exam. Just kind of understanding uh, some of the differences, what were, uh, what lived in the Paleozoic. And a key characteristic is that mostly they were immobile and they filter fed. So they just sat on the ground and they siphoned water th through their bodies and then they collected any of the organic algae or bits that, were it, that was in the water, they would have digested that. And the key thing with the Mesozoic with these guys is that they were mostly mobile, so they would have moved around, walked around. They would have scavenged, and this is when you really start to see the predators forming, predation taking place. And in a way, you can kind of think of on the land, the very same thing happened. So on the land during the Paleozoic, you would have just had like um, some rep a few reptiles, amphibians, things like that going in land and water, and then you had all the plants. And then it was really in the Mesozoic when you would have had like the predators take over. So remember like the dinosaurs like eating other dinosaurs and things like that. So I would say that there's, that would be a similarity uh, between land and ocean going from the Paleozoic to the Mesozoic as things really started to change and you started to have uh, more of a hierarchy in the food chain where you had guys that sat at the top of the food chain that would have been eating um, would have been actually hunting and eating other sorts of animals. And that was something that really didn't happen in the Paleozoic. So you can kind of think of the Paleozoic as just like, oh, this cool place to kind of live and grow and chill out, never had a lot to worry about. And then all of a sudden in the Mesozoic, it was like, okay, you don't want to be eaten by someone else. So, okay, cool. So that's what I have for you for the invertebrates. And then why don't we uh, just... Quickly, since that lecture didn't take too long, let's do the Mesozoic amphibians and reptiles. Okay, so prehistoric marine life. So this is when you really start to see amphibians and reptiles that look like dinosaurs. 
All right, we've already looked at this uh, tree or this branch of life. Uh, you would have had in the Devonian, so in the Paleozoic time period, we spoke about these guys, and then they would have started to evolve. And then really in the Jurassic to the recent is where you have the diversification of modern-like amphibians. You would have had less modern-like amphibians, these ones, in the Paleozoic. But this is where you start to get like your frogs and your salamanders, things that we recognize and understand and know today. And then also um, these guys, the Australian lungfish. Okay, so Mesozoic amphibians. Just to remember that this group was really hit hard by the end Permian mass extinction, and um, they never really completely recovered. Um, today we have frogs and salamanders, so the, the frogs and the salamanders have made it through the Mesozoic and are uh, recent, but just remember that actually even today there's a lot of frogs and different types of salamanders, salamanders that are endangered species. So once again, this group of animals continues to be um, affected by uh, global warming and mass extinctions, things like that, but for whatever reason, they somehow seem to make it through each each extinction. So that's really cool. I'm not really sure why. Maybe because they can go land or water. They kind of have that flexibility. So that might be an advantage um, that they have evolutionary speaking. Um, let's see here. So one thing to note is that in the Paleozoic, uh, they would have had slightly different uh, features like this than what you see today. Uh, I'm not going to worry too much about that, though, down at the bottom. Sorry. There. Okay. So the Mesozoic reptiles. So the reptiles that we spoke about, the one um, last week or the week before, I can't remember. I can't remember its name, but it had, like, that really big fin. It was, like, a little, kind of looked like a turtle. But it had this fin. Oh, it's not a dinosaur. It's not a dinosaur. Yep, that one. Oh. So that guy, that was, nice turn, the Paleozoic reptile. So that guy, those were hard hit by the end Permian mass extinction. And uh, what's really cool is even though they were hard hit, um, they were greatly diversified. So there are lots of different species of reptiles. So the Mesozoic, the age of the dinosaurs, is also considered to be the age of the reptiles. So that's a really cool, um, cool thing to know. And just remember, uh, these, these guys, you guys did really good on this for your exam. So you had the anapsids, the no holes. These were not necessarily important for the Mesozoic. Um, the one with one holes, it was minor in the Triassic, but it, it w went extinct by the Jurassic. But it's the one that had the two holes that really uh, diversified in the Mesozoic. Okay, so for example, turtles and tortoises first appeared in the Mesozoic. Um, so we have a fossil, this guy's sitting right here, we see it in the fossil record. So that's really cool. We didn't have turtles and tortoises in the Paleozoic. And then uh, these are just some key characteristics about the, the diapsid, the two-holed reptiles, two holes in the head. Uh, so they greatly diversified in the Mesozoic. Uh, there were lizards and snakes, and also the freshwater uh, aquatic reptiles lived in rivers and lakes. So that would have been like the turtles, things like that. 
you also had marine reptiles, and then you also had flying reptiles. So the the pterosaurus. So that would have been a reptile that you would have seen flying in the sky. I don't think we really have that today. I don't think so. Reptiles in the sky. I think we just have like birds mostly. Okay, so the oldest snake. All right, this guy was, this is actually a relatively modern discovery. So it became public in uh, 2015. Uh, it was found in a middle Jurassic deposit in England. And if you guys remember, the geologic time scale is on the back cover of your lab book if you ever want to remember the, the names. So this is the middle part of the Mesozoic. And uh, they are thought to come from freshwater lake deposits. So snakes may have actually appeared in lakes before the oceans, which is really interesting to think about, like, why, why the lakes, not the oceans. Okay, so this is another guy. So this essentially would have been like a really archaic uh, crocodile related to the crocodiles. You can see that its head and its jaw and the teeth look similar to a crocodile, the feet, but there's definitely a distinct difference with the tail. You can see that the tail kind of looks still somewhat like a fish tail, I guess, to me. But um, yeah, definitely crocodiles just have sort of that single, single tail, not with the fins. All right, so these are all the different types of diapsids, so the ones that have the two holes. A key characteristic about these guys is that they all have a really long snout and they have pointed teeth. Um, they have nostrils on the top of their head, so they smell with the top of their head. And um, they have a dermal bone. I'm not gonna worry about the name of the dermal bone. And a lot of them were actually extinct by the end of the Triassic. That's the first period in um, the Mesozoic. So remember it goes Triassic is first, Jurassic is second, and then Cretaceous is last. Um, and then we find these in Mexico. So that's another cool thing is they're really common and you can find them in Mexico. This is what the dermal bone looks like, just so you guys know. Uh, you can see that crocodiles and um, modern ones, alligators, they have the same sort of feature. So that's in their jaw. Okay, so when we speak specifically about the crocodile type of reptiles, these didn't appear until the late Triassic, and some were absolutely huge by the time of the Cretaceous. So 12 meters, each meter is approximately three feet. So 12 meters is 12 times three, which is what, like 36? Yeah. So gigantic, absolutely enormous crocodiles. Um, their nostril is at the end of the bump on the snout, so this little cavity right in here. And with these, you often see that the dermal bone is uh, fossilized. So yeah, here's one from New Mexico. Just massive, crazy looking things. All right, marine reptiles. So this is going into the ocean. Um, they were common, but they all basically became extinct by the end of the Cretaceous. They were able to adapt to having uh, living in the ocean as opposed to being on the land or in lakes. And uh, these are also in a wide variety of shapes and sizes. So some are just really little 20 centimeters and some can be 17 meters. So 17 times three to get the feet. And this is just a list of all um, the names, what they would have looked like compared to the size of a human. So some were absolutely massive and then their location, the fossils, uh, fossil locations. So I'll let you guys look at that on your own time. 
All right, so what were their adaptations? So what allowed them to live in the ocean? They would have had an elongated body, streamlined, meant that they were able to swim easily. They would have had a long uh, tail, and um, some of them even would have had a long neck. One other key evolutionary aspect is their feet, or what we see as modern crocodiles having feet. The ones that lived in the ocean, their feet would have evolved into paddles, so that would allow them to swim. And then also they, their teeth are quite scary looking. So their teeth, basically these were predators. They were meant to kill other sorts of living uh, creatures, other reptiles, other fish, mammals, things like that, that were living in the ocean. All right, so the specialized marine uh, reptile teeth. You can see that they are uh, up here towards the top and um, they would have had like several rows of teeth. This is still something that you see in the modern with the sharks. The sharks often have like two rows of teeth. Um, this is some of the characteristics of them. I'm not gonna get too much into the details, but I'll let you see, I'll have you guys look at the visual representation. All right, and then we had uh, the pterosaurs. So these guys would have been uh, living in the sky, so flying reptiles. Really, really amazing creatures. Yeah, these are the ones that you see like in the movies and stuff like that, the cartoons. <laughs> really neat. All right, so some of the key char characteristics of the flying reptiles, uh, you would have had an elongated fourth finger, so that's one thing that's different. Um, the membrane, they aren't really sure if it was attached to the feet. Like, you know how bats, their wings, and they have, like, really delicate wings, and the membranes, they attach to their feet. They have, like, these webbed feet. They aren't really sure if that happened because a lot of times the membrane is a soft part, and it's not really preserved in the fossil record, so we just probably haven't found good enough fossils to tell us that. Um, one key thing to note is if they were attached, then they could not have walked on land. So that would be something that would be very different. So you don't see bats. Bats don't walk around on the land. They literally, they live up in caves and they hang from ceilings of caves. That's where they live. And then they fly out at night, collect food, stuff like that. And they go back in their cave. They attach their claws to the ceiling and they live. Bat, I mean, you, and apparently I saw something on Twitter like two weeks ago. Bats can swim. I didn't know that. So modern bats can swim. They can't walk on land because their wings are attached to their feet. But somehow, some of them have evolved to swim. And then they, like, literally live on a ceiling of a cave. So it's not really sure their environment, how these guys would have lived. If they lived like bats or if they would have lived more like birds, like today. All right. So uh, this is just the bone structure. So you can see um, this is just making a comparison of the pleosaur wings to a bird wing to a bat wing. So that's just basically what this is showing you. This is more of the details, the morphology. I'm not going to expect you to know all the names or anything like that, but this is kind of what we think, uh, how they, how they would have lived or how, uh, their anatomy was set up. This is a lot of times what we see in the fossil record. So uh, we don't necessarily get a guy that's all sprawled out that we can perfectly see its bone structure and things like that. A lot of times you see the fossils, they're, they're more in like uh, what we would consider like the position in which they would have probably died in. So sometimes uh, crumpled up a little bit. Um, what's cool on this is you can actually uh, preserve some of the stomach contents 
uh, which is interesting, and they contain spines and scales. So in their stomach, they'll actually see fossilized bits of what they would have eaten. And uh, it's interpreted that they would have ate things from the ocean. So scales or spines, maybe um, echinoderms or fish, stuff like that. Um, and the key thing is that they're almost always found in marine rocks. So they would have been flying, and then for whatever reason, they would have died over the ocean, settled down, and then we see them in marine deposits. So there's still some things that about this that aren't really exactly straightforward or clear. So really cool. Um, this I know a lot of people that they love to study these guys because they're really interesting. So yeah, big questions. Were they divers? Were they swimmers? Um, probably unlikely because they would have had um, torn wings. Were they waders? Did they kind of walk around like ducks? Um, maybe, but they can't walk around if their wings were attached. Um, another thing is, were they skimmers? So something more like the swimming bat or something more like a pelican. So they would have kind of skimmed across open water. So yeah, there's a lot of questions around these guys. We don't really understand them. All right, so these guys. These guys are really amazing. So these guys, we think actually uh, giraffes would have evolved from these. Um, the big key thing about these is that they didn't have a tail. Um, they were huge. They were absolutely massive, like giraffes. Um, some didn't have teeth. They just had a beak. So that would be distinctly different because a giraffe has teeth. It's more like a horse, definitely a land animal. And then uh, they also had this huge crest at the top of their skull. So there's some of these like, and you'll see this more when we, especially when we talk about the Cenozoic ones is sometimes you can see like a direct correlation. Okay. I can see where modern, more modern uh, species would have evolved from things like this, but then you see these things in the fossil record, or you learn about them in the textbooks and you're just like, yeah, I don't even understand like how that fits in evolutionary. Like how is it just sort of a single guy that it was completely unique nothing evolved from it so um yeah there's some really cool creatures like that all right and then um of course things that you guys definitely know a lot about i'm sure are dinosaurs so dinosaurs are uh diapsids so they have two holes in their head and they are the mesozoic reptile that really flourished and diversified which is probably why they're so common and um why we see a lot of their uh, you know, toys and stuff are made from them. Okay, cool. So that's an introduction to dinosaurs. So we'll talk about those more uh, next week. And